Let's go ahead and get into Philippians chapter 3. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 11. This week we're going to look at 12 through chapter 4 verse 1. So uh, go ahead and turn to 3 verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already reached the goal where I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray as we look at the word together. Father, as Greg prayed a minute ago, open our hearts. God, give us ears that hear. Give us minds that are ready to engage with your word. I pray that you would remove distractions from our lives and our minds right now and help us to focus in on your word and to experience your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about from this passage what it looks like to be mature in Christ. Maturity versus immaturity. In, in, in virtually any area of our lives, immaturity is a bad thing. Immaturity may seem fun for a season to those who participate in it, but immaturity often gets old. That's why when you, when you see uh, people become young adults, a lot of times, you know, because they've They've been under the rules and regulations of their parents. They often, oftentimes young adults, when they get out of the house at first, they go wild for a little while. But very few people maintain that, that way of living all that long in life. You know why? Because immaturity is actually bad. Although it seems fun for a season, immaturity actually has a lot of negative consequences. And at the end of the day, it's just not all that fun to be immature. That seems antithetical to the way we might grow up thinking. We think old people are boring. We think young people are fun. And then we get old and we're like, young people kind of are boring. (laughs) Maturity, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, is an extremely important thing. We are not to remain immature, immature in Christ Sometimes people measure their relationship with Christ by how many years they've been a Christian. But here's the, here's the bad thing. You can be a Christian for 80 years and still be immature in Christ. You can stay in that infant stage indefinitely. 
You can, you can, you can just absolutely refuse to grow and refuse to experience uh, maturity in Christ even though you've committed your life to him. It happens all the time. And there's nothing sadder than somebody who's grown old in Christ but who has not grown up in Christ. Vice versa, you can be young in Christ and have a level of maturity that those older than you don't have. That's why Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, who was a younger pastor, a younger man uh, amongst the people that he was pastoring, he, inst- he instructed Timothy, he said, don't let, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth, but set an example for them. In other words, show them, even in your youth, what it means to be mature in Christ and set that example for them. Paul here is, is speaking about maturity in Christ and he gives several characteristics of those who are mature in Christ. And so that's what the outline is going to look like today. We're going to see several characteristics of what it means to be mature in Christ. Let's look at the first one. The mature in Christ know that they are not there yet. This is kind of perhaps counterintuitive, but the more mature you become in Christ, the, the more you realize how far you are from the person that you should be. There's, this, there's this, this idea that as we grow in maturity in Christ, if I can, if I can try to paint a picture with my hands, when we, when we begin in Christ, we, we perceive that the gap between who God wants us to be, that's this hand, and who we really are, that's this hand, is, is perhaps fairly small. But as we grow in maturity, we realize, even though we're growing more like Christ, we, we begin to realize that the gap is much further than, than we perceived it to be at the beginning, and our appreciation of the gospel increases along proportionate to that. The more you realize how far you are from the person you should be in Christ, the more you appreciate the gospel. That's part of the process of maturing in Christ. When I first came to Christ, I thought if I just kicked a couple of bad habits, I'd probably be a pretty good person. And then I kicked those bad habits, and I was like, Boy, I got a lot of other things to work on too. And, and your eyes just begin to open to, to how much there is within you that's been tainted by your own sinfulness. And so the mature in Christ aren't those who think they've arrived. That's a sign of immaturity. The mature in Christ are those who know they are not there yet. Let me show you this from what Paul says. Verse 12. Paul, the apostle Paul. It would be hard to argue or make a case for anybody amongst his generation who was more mature in Christ. This is what he says of himself. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Do you see? Two times here Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal. And then he says, and I do not consider, verse 13, I do not consider myself to having taken hold of it. The apostle Paul, (laughs) if, if, if he has has not reached a level of maturity in Christ that leads to, let's say, contentment or arrival, this sense of, hey, 
I'm doing pretty good, then neither should you or I ever think, oh, that's good enough. That's enough. That's enough growth in Christ. That's, that's enough for this lifetime. I, th- I think I've gone far enough. No, the mature in Christ know they're not there yet. The mature in Christ know that there's more work to be done. Internally, as well as externally, but we're speaking primarily about the internal work that needs to be done. I have not reached the goal. I do not consider myself to have, take, to have taken hold of it. He knows he's not there. In spite of, of everything that Paul has accomplished, in spite of all of the, let's say, supposed transformation that has taken place within him, he knows he's not there yet. And all the mature in Christ think that way. If you want to be mature in Christ, one of the areas you need to grow is you need to grow in understanding yourself and how far you have to go still. But it doesn't end there. The next one is this. The mature in Christ make every effort to grow. And I want to look at those same verses, verses 12 through 14. If, if those verses show us that Paul says, I'm not, I haven't reached the goal, I'm not already perfect, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, so, so then what is Paul's response? What is the mature response? The mature response is that we would make every effort to grow. In those same verses, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Paul doesn't say, well, I've, I've, been, I've been pursuing Christ this long. I've come this far and I'm still not there. I, I guess there's really no sense in, in continuing to fight for maturity in Christ or spiritual growth. I guess there's really no point in, in continuing to go after this thing that we call maturity in Christ. No, he says, I make every effort to take hold of it. Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. See, therein lies the key to continuing to pursue Christ, is knowing that he has pursued you and taken hold of you. And if he has taken hold of you, you want more of him. That's Paul's experience. He says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind Reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This is a pretty familiar um, verse from the Apostle Paul. And it's beautiful. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. You you, you may remember from the, the past couple of weeks... Some of the things that Paul is choosing to forget that are behind him. They include, let's say, both accomplishments and failures. Don't emphasize, don't, you can emphasize one over the other, but don't choose one and leave the other behind. Uh, we, love to, we love to leave behind our failures, and that's the gospel that we do get to leave behind our failures. That we get to leave behind the ways that we failed to serve Christ even yesterday, and, and we have every morning new mercies from Christ. We get up and every day is a clean slate because of the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us. We're, we're perpetually having a, a clean slate and we get to for, forget what's behind. Yeah, I, I made some mistakes yesterday. I, I committed some sins. I, I, I did whatever. I've 
I get to leave that behind today. And I get to push forward in pursuit of what is ahead. But Paul, he's also leaving behind his spiritual successes. He's not going to rest on what he's accomplished so far. Do you see the importance of of leaving behind both? Yes, we have the freedom to to leave behind our sin and and move forward in pursuit of the goal that we have to, to be with Christ Jesus, to be like Christ Jesus, to be effective for Christ Jesus. But we also don't get to rest on yesterday's successes. Nobody has reached a state of maturity wherein you can say, hey, I did enough. I did this, 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 you know, I I did all these things for Christ. Here's my resume. Here's everything I've done. I'm done. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that to God because he might take you up on it. (laughs) He might be like, yeah, you're done. He's not, you know, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, the good and the bad, and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Some of you came to redemption because you needed a fresh start. Some of you came here because there were some things that you desired to leave behind. And you understand that, that, that the Christian church is a place of forgiveness. It's a place of, of leaving things behind. And, and you came to the right place. You came to a place where the gospel is, is proclaimed, where the salvation of Jesus is central to everything that we do, where we don't expect you to come in here perfect, that we expect you to come in here with some things you would like to leave behind. But we want to call you not just to leave those behind, but to reach forward for what is ahead. It's time to pursue the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. It's time to pursue maturity in Christ. And that's a great calling. It's a great thing to be called to. To grow up in Christ, to mature in Christ, to to leave behind the bad and the good because you're still not done, because you're still not there, because you still haven't arrived, because God still has more work that he wants to do in you and more work that he wants to do through you. Oftentimes in, in, in Christianity, we call this process discipleship. Learning to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. That's what discipleship is. It's learning to follow him, to obey him in, in every area of our lives. In fact, discipleship is one of our four core values here at Redemption. We call it grace-based daily discipleship. It's kind of a mouthful, but those are important words to us. Grace-based means that, that we're not talking about mere human effort. We're not talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, and biting down on your mouth guard and, and just giving it everything you've got. We're talking about the grace of God that comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit that enables us to, to fall forward more or less. This is how we say it uh, in our, our vision and mission document. We say grace-based daily discipleship. The Christian faith is not merely a set of beliefs to be affirmed as true. It's a new life and a call to follow Jesus daily. To be a Christian means to be seeking to grow in three areas. Walking with God, loving each other, and seeking the lost. 
In all of these areas, we strive for what we call imperfect progress, relying on the grace and mercy of God each step of the way. That's how we define grace-based daily discipleship, that it's, it's, it's by grace and that, that this is going to be imperfect progress. We're not, we're not looking for people who think that they're doing it perfectly because, like I said earlier, that's actually a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of maturity to know that you're not doing this perfectly and that you're relying on the grace of God, but that you're making progress, imperfect progress, that we're moving forward. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, and then three steps forward. And, some, and uh, I don't know the math on that, how many steps we ended up forward. I was trying to make sure we ended up forward there. But, but it's not always pretty, and it's not always perfect, and it doesn't always go the way we hoped it would go. But by God's grace, we're going to keep fighting to move forward in him. We're going to keep striving with everything that we have and with the grace that he supplies to grow in Christ daily. To walk with him. To follow him. And that's a daily endeavor. It's not a once a week thing or a twice a month thing or however often you come on Sunday mornings. This, isn't, this shouldn't be the only time you're pursuing Christ. This shouldn't be the only time you're pursuing spiritual growth. That should be a part of your daily life. That as you go about your life, that Jesus is a part of everything that you're doing That's discipleship. And the mature in Christ make every effort to grow. All right, let's move on to the next one. The mature in Christ are patient with others. I really liked these verses in this passage when I came to it. Uh, Because as a pastor, I get to see, well, I, I myself, let me make this about me. As a pastor, I respond to people's, Maturity or immaturity in Christ in a variety of ways. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I get impatient. Um, I have, uh, and, and sometimes uh, I'm patient and grace, gracious. I respond to my own immaturity in similar ways. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm feeling the grace of God. And, and, but I also get to observe you respond to each other. And sometimes it's encouraging and sometimes it's discouraging. And so when I came to these verses, I really like this. Paul says in verse 15, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. So he's putting out something objective. He's not putting out something subjective. He's not saying, I'll define maturity this way. You define maturity however you want to define maturity. He's speaking with the authority of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's confident. He says, what I'm describing to you is the way all believers need to think, at least those who are pursuing maturity. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So Paul says, this is the truth. I know this to be true by the Holy Spirit. I know this to be true. He's speaking with his apostolic authority. He's speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's defining what is true. But he's acknowledging that there are other people who are going to say, I don't know if I think that's true. Oh, that's okay. God will reveal it to you. He doesn't, he doesn't get, he's not, he's not, he's not losing his mind. He's not becoming argumentative. He's, he's mature. And part of maturity is that you've realized that you, you, your responsibility 
in the growth that other people need to attain or achieve, your responsibility is to lovingly encourage and instruct in the word of God and then patiently wait for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And sometimes we get so eager to see somebody change in a particular way that we just, we just leap on them and we won't leave them alone until they agree, until, until they, they get to where we think they need to be. But those who are mature are patient with others. They're willing to step back and say, look, that's the Holy Spirit's job. If there's something I feel like I need to say, I'm going to say it. If there's, if, if there's a truth that, that, that I understand from the scriptures that's applicable here, I'll speak it, but I'll do it with gentleness and kindness and with the patience of someone who is mature in Christ. And he says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So you, as a believer have attained a certain level of truth. I know this isn't popular in, in our culture to speak of truth this way. It's, it's something abstract. Or, or, or we, we think of truth as something abstract, not as something that's absolute and well-defined. And if, if that's the case, if there's just absolute truth, then it's, I think, okay to say that there's a measure of truth that we understand and have, have embraced so far in our lives. And if there's a measure of truth, then, then we should always make it our goal to attain more truth, but we should more than that make it our goal to live up to the amount of truth that we have attained thus far. Sometimes we can be learning faster than we're growing in response to what we're learning. Not sometimes, probably all the time. It's always a challenge in the Christian's life it's easier to learn and to attain truth than it is to apply it and to walk in it. And so Paul says, in any case, live up to whatever truth you've attained. That is a sign of maturity. That level of patience, knowing that the Holy Spirit will continue to work. This is how Paul instructs Timothy in Second Timothy 2. This won't be on the screen, uh, so you can just listen as I read it. He says to this young pastor, this is... The, the same Timothy I mentioned earlier. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and, foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. How does Paul instruct Timothy to deal with those who disagree with him? He says, gentle, able to teach. That requires some training. That requires that you know your stuff well enough to communicate it. And that it, that also puts, puts the pressure on the teacher. Uh, the pressure is on the teacher to know what he's trying to say and to, to work to communicate it in a way that it will be heard, received, and embraced. Able to teach and ultimately patient. Instructing his opponents with gentleness. And then he says the result of that might be that God will give them that same level of knowledge. 
that they'll come to the same understanding of truth. He doesn't say, get, you know, get, get into an argument with them on social media or, you know, show up at, at, at church and, and pursue them with an aggressiveness that, that is guaranteed to cause a fight. He says, now be patient, able to teach, put the effort into being able to communicate truth, but patient and gentle, and then let God do the work. The mature in Christ are patient with others. Likewise, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Is that how you treat those you disagree with? He says, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. That's how we're supposed to respond to, to those who, you know, you see another Christian and you're like, dude, that's so wrong. I can see this. It's clear from scripture that what they're believing or what they're saying or what they're, they're doing is wrong. Well, teach with gentleness, with patience, with love and compassion for that, for, for that brother or sister in Christ. Not with this, this um, agenda to prove how much you know and to prove how mature you are in Christ. That's not maturity. Be patient with one another. All right, let's move on to the next one. The mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. The mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. Paul says in verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me. How many of you would be willing to stand up here on this stage and tell the church, imitate me in following Christ. Be like me. Do the things that I do. Well, the mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. The mature in Christ are, are, are willing to say, hey, if you live the way I'm living, you'll become more like Christ. That is a bold thing for Paul to say. I feel uncomfortable with that. <laughs> and uh, this was a kind of a, a gut check for me because I'm like, I'm the pastor. I probably should be willing to do that, right? Probably should be willing to say, live your life like me. That's a high calling. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Boy, I, I, I'd like to put the pressure on somebody else. I'd like, to, I'd like to point to somebody else and say, imitate them. But maturity requires that we live lives that are worth imitating. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 to the Corinthian church, something similar. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I find that interesting. He, the comparison, you have instructors, and then you have fathers. Instructors get away with, what we expect of instructors are the transfer of information. Those who, instructors, they can, they can just, we just need them to say the right things. We don't need them to do the right things. 
You can have a math teacher whose life is a complete disaster, but if he understands if he understands algebraic equations and is able to teach those, that's good enough. I don't care what he, he lives his life like. Instructors don't have the responsibility or the burden of, of anything beyond being able to convey the right information. Fathers, though, are different. How do kids respond to fathers? For starters, they don't care what they say. <laughs> I remember as a kid, completely disregarding so much of what my dad said, but picking up on every little detail of how he lived. And I suspect my kids are doing the same thing. If I say something to them that is inconsistent with how I'm living, I don't necessarily expect them to follow my instruction. I understand that they're going to follow my example. And that's what Paul is saying here. He, he, he says, you, you know, you have countless instructors in Christ, but don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He's, he's encouraging them to do something he already expects that they're going to do. Have you had people model for you, not just explain to you uh, in an instructor fashion, but have you had people model for you what it means to live for Christ? I can only think of a handful of people that I would consider fathers in the gospel. Men and sometimes, sometimes women, I wouldn't consider them fathers if they're women, but men and women who have, who have lived out the gospel in a way that I was able to observe it and say, that's how I'm supposed to live. That's what it means to be a Christian father. That's what it means to be a Christian husband. That's what it means to be a Christian pastor. That's what it means to be a Christian employee. Those are few and far in between. It's easy to find people that want to transfer knowledge to you. It's hard to find people who are willing to, to live it out and set an example and say, imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says elsewhere. You know, so actually been thinking about this before I even came to this passage. I've been thinking about this. You know, some of those men that, that I consider fathers or consider mentors or, or men who I think are a good example uh, because I've benefited from those relationships. I've been wanting to share those relationships with others. And some of you might remember a couple, well, probably a month ago now, um, I shared a, a resource on our Facebook group about grandparenting according to the gospel. And uh, so there's, there's a, a, a guy that kind of is entering into that role in my life in terms of, of, of a spiritual mentor uh, who wrote a book and, and has these seminars that he does on how grandparents can grandparent their children in a gospel-centered way. And I thought, man, that's, that's an incredible resource. Our people need to have that. So we're actually going to bring him in uh, in September and have him do his grandparenting seminar. We'll get information to you about that very soon. 
But the reason I, I want him to, br- to bring him in, because here's a guy that's actually doing this, who's actually saying, imitate me. Here's what I'm doing with my life, and I consider it to be consistent with Christian maturity. So imitate me and do the things that I'm doing. I saw he posted the other day, every, every year in the summer, they do this thing called Grand Camp, where they get all their grandkids together for a week. And they do all these activities together and they do all of these, you know, they do a lot of teaching them the gospel and and caring for them spiritually, but also having fun and making great memories with them. And I'm like, there's an example that we need to follow. That's what we, we need to do. We need those examples in front of us. We need people whose lives are worth imitating. And we also need to embrace the challenge of becoming a life worth imitating. And so let me put that challenge out to you. Are you living a life that you're comfortable telling the people who are following you, imitate me? Don't just hear what I say. Don't just believe what I teach. Don't just do as I say, but do as I do. I think you'll find that that's what people are going to do anyhow. That they're more interested in how you live your life than how you say one should live their lives. Therefore, be a life worth imitating. Okay, we gotta get through three more here. So I'll move a little quicker through these last couple. Uh, but I don't wanna rush. We have, we have plenty of time, so I don't wanna rush. The mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. This came up last week. I don't wanna be redundant, but also it came up in the passage again. Our, our commitment is to always strive to preach what's in the text. You know, sometimes say, people say, why don't you preach about this or why don't you preach about that? I just preach the text. We let, and that's not to say that there's never a time for deviating from what's immediately in the text to touch on something that's important. And we'll do that and we do do that, right? But, but you know, false teachers came up in last week's passage. It's here again in this week's passage. And so I think it's worth repeating. And he actually adds some, some new information here. The mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. Let me read the text, and then we'll talk about this. Verse 18, for I have often told you, and now say again with tears. It's hard to replicate the emotion that Paul is expressing with his words here. But it's worth noting that when Paul got to this part of his letter to the Philippians, it literally brought him to tears. When was the last time you were, you were typing up a communication to somebody and it just, it just brought tears to your eyes? Hopefully you've had that experience. Hopefully you've had the experience of, of, of being so moved by what you needed to communicate that you, you, you felt the pressure of not being able to get it all out in words, that you had to get it out in tears. That's Paul's experience here. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, what is it that moves him in this way? He says that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. 
this seems to be a reference back to what he was talking about in the last passage, which we understand to be the Judaizers. Those are the ones that were uh, uh, teaching people that, yes, it was great to believe in the gospel of Jesus and that salvation uh, by grace through faith was good, but that in addition to believing that message by faith that you needed to be circumcised and that you needed to keep the Old Testament law as well, and, and, and Paul was warning them that those are false teachers, that is not the good news of the gospel, and that you should have nothing to do with them. And now he says again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What do you need to know about false teachers? He goes on to say, their end is destruction, but ours is salvation. He says their God is their stomach. That means they're motivated by what they feel and what they experience in the flesh. They're motivated by the flesh, but our God is the spirit living within us. You see the contrast? He says their glory is in their shame. Our glory is in Jesus' finished work. They are focused on earthly things. We are focused on eternal and heavenly things. The difference between false teachers and true Christians is vast. Therefore, we ought to do everything possible to avoid the influence of false teachers. Christians... Christians in America have just fallen under the spell of the false teachers that consume our Christian radio stations and our our, our Christian television stations and the internet and the podcast world. And Christians have fallen under the spell of false teachers. It's important that you know that if you follow false teachers, you're following those whose end is destruction whose God is their stomach, whose glory is their shame, and those who are focused on earthly things. None of those should be characteristics of the mature Christian life. Our end is salvation. Our God is the spirit that is living within us. Our glory is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And our focus is to be on heavenly and eternal things. And so you see these false teachers who they're, I don't, nobody likes when you name names because people get offended. Uh, And I'm not saying I'm not willing to offend people, but I'm just, I'm not going to go there today. But they're pretty easy to spot because they're living lavishly in this world off of preaching the gospel. When a, when, a, when a Christian preacher has his own private jet and lives in a mansion and has a fleet of vehicles, you know his God or her God is their stomach. They are, cons- they are focused on earthly things and therefore their glory, what they perceive as their glory, I have, I'm, this, I'm so successful because of my ministry for the gospel, their glory is actually their shame. It's those things that when they stand before God, he's going to be like, what were you doing? The mature in Christ avoid the influence of these false teachers. Two more. The mature in Christ look ahead to the glory that is to come. In contrast to the false teachers who are focused on earthly things, the mature in Christ look ahead to the glory that is to come. Verse 20. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. American Christian, I hope you will remember that. I hope you remember that when you turn on the news. I hope you remember that when you vote. I hope you remember that when you engage in in, in political conversation. That yes, the politics of our present age matter. That what happens as a result of our elections and who leads our country, those things matter. But you need, you need to understand all of those from the perspective that this is not our eternal citizenship. That this is a temporary home. And temporary homes get different attention and, and, and different focus and concentration than eternal homes. Or at least they should. How many of you have ever been, you were about to move and something broke or something went wrong with the place that you were renting and you had that experience of, ah, whatever, who cares? <laughs> it's because it was a temporary home. You were about to move on to something else. Well, Christians, you're in a temporary home and things are breaking and things are going wrong and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't care and I'm not saying we shouldn't engage, but we should do it with the perspective that, this, uh, that our citizenship is in heaven. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't w- eagerly await for a Savior from our political party or from amongst ourselves. We eagerly wait for a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's good news. He's going to transform us. We're going to become like him in his eternal body. We're going to experience the power of the resurrected body of Jesus in our own bodies. So the mature in Christ... Look ahead to the glory that is to come. Finally, the mature in Christ stand firm. The mature in Christ stand firm. This passage actually ends uh, in, in 4 verse 1. If you have a physical, oh, even on your electronic Bibles, you know there's headings in there and stuff. Most translations put the heading after 4 verse 1. You understand those headings are not part of the Bible. Those are just things that publishers add to the text to help us uh, navigate the scriptures a little more efficiently and stuff. Those headings really don't matter. I could have stopped this sermon at the end of chapter 3. I could have stopped this sermon at the end of 4 verse 3. It, 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 didn't, it doesn't matter so much other than we're looking for a conclusion of teaching. And that conclusion seems to come in chapter 4 verse 1. The mature in Christ stand firm. He says, so then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The path toward maturity in Christ is full of trials and adversity. There's no way forward except through persevering, standing firm. Refusing to give up, refusing to let go, refusing to quit, refusing to throw in the towel. Maturity requires that you don't quit, that you persevere, 
that you stand firm in the truth. When you stop standing firm, you stop growing. When you stop persevering, you stop growing in maturity in Christ. The only way forward is to keep going. That's what it means to stand firm. I remember one time in my early 20s, before I was married, I think it was before I was married, uh, my brother and I were driving to Georgia to see family. And it was just he and I, and so we were taking turns driving. And I remember we drove through the night because we were young and we were stupid. And we are like, there's no cops at night, there's no cars, and it's just pedal to the floor and you go. And you get there as fast as you can. Now I can't drive through the day without pulling over to take a nap. <laughs> but back then I could. But I'm driving through the night and it gets into the wee hours of the middle of the night and I'm getting tired and I'm literally doing everything I can to stay awake. I'm like, it's, it was, I look back and I think this was so stupid and so dangerous. I, I don't do this anymore because I understand the danger of it. But I'm like pinching myself, I'm slapping myself, I'm putting windows down, I'm doing everything because I know the only way we get to where we're going is if we keep driving, if we keep going, if we persevere through, right? And I finally, I can't do it anymore. I, I'm, I'm literally starting to do that. You know, I'm starting to nod. I'm like, this is not good. So my brother who was sleeping that whole time, I, I pull over. And I wake him up, and he's my older brother, and I'm like, dude, I can't drive anymore, man. I need to go to sleep, and it's your turn to drive. And so we switch seats, and he starts driving, and I fall asleep within a couple of minutes, and I wake up like an hour and a half later, and we're pulled over, and we're parked. And I look at him, and he's sleeping. And I wake him up, and I'm like, dude, what happened? Here he drove like five minutes down the road and pulled over and went to sleep. I'm like, this defeated the purpose. We're not getting anywhere. What are you doing? I'm fighting. I'm pulling hair out to stay awake. And you just pull over and go to sleep. And we didn't get any further. And, and it's the same way in, in the Christian life. When we stop driving, when we, when we give up, when we throw in the towel, we stop growing in maturity. You have to persevere. You have to push through and keep, keep growing and keep fighting towards maturity in Christ. It's a great principle to apply in your growth in Christ. Not a great principle to apply when you're driving through the night. Don't do that when you're driving through the night. Don't persevere at night. Pull over and go to sleep. But in Christ, we can't give up. Stand firm. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters. Paul, is, he's, the tears are just now starting to dry from when he was talking, when he's penning those words about the false teachers and the influence that he's afraid they might have over the Philippian churches. His tears are starting to dry, but he's still feeling the emotion. He says, then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. To you. My dearly loved brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't let whatever trials that you're facing right now stop you from persevering in him. Many of you have been here for a while. No, I love the old saying, just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Don't quit now. Stand firm in him. In conclusion, 
Let me ask you just to be self-reflective. Let me just ask you to look in, in the mirror and answer these questions. Have you made growing mature in Christ a goal? It's Paul's goal, he says. Have you made that a goal? For you personally, is that one of the things that you're pursuing in life? I would argue that it should be the thing that you're pursuing in, 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 in life. But is it even a thing for you? Have you made growing mature in Christ a goal? Do you have a plan for that growth? Which of these areas is the Holy Spirit putting his finger on today? The mature in Christ know they're not there yet. The mature in Christ make every effort to grow. The mature in Christ are patient with others. The mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. The mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. The mature in Christ look ahead to the glory that is to come. The mature in Christ stand firm. Would you make it a matter of prayer this morning to pursue growth in at least one of those areas, if not more? Would you circle one on your handout and say, I'm not done with this. This week, I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to look, I'm going to study the scriptures. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to make a plan to grow in this area of my life. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe the Lord's laid on your heart something else. Make it your aim to grow mature in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It gives life. Your word is true. We want to make it our aim to grow mature in Christ. To not be satisfied to, to be stagnant, to not be satisfied to be saved and waiting for heaven, but, but to embrace the purpose that you created us for, that we would grow in you, that you would work in us and that you would work through us in this world until we stand before you on that day, the day in which you will glorify us and in our bodies we will experience the power of the resurrected Christ. And we will be with you forever and eternity. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.